Welcome, ladies, germs, and people of all genders to the Ah! Real Films Podcast, a podcast where two siblings discuss horror films based on a theme. My name is Count Taylor, and my oh, co-host is... I was going to say Count Curtis, because it's an alliteration. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. It really yeah, does. Sorry. You went Count Count Taylor. What? Oh, you really took that from me. How about... Uh, um... Torch, Torch Carry and Tay. Okay, how about that better yeah i was gonna come yeah. up with a name for you that's fine that works you know how like count dracula just like wanders around his mansion like <laughs> with a candle that's like that's really my aesthetic i so. wander around the house with a candle even when like the power's not out because it's just <laughs> i kind of like the aesthetic a little bit yeah but i, I think, just love being spooky i think it creeps janelle out a little bit so you know normally i turn on a light or two now but. uh well anyway, anyway in case you didn't read um the title of this episode or you're not getting our references this week we will be discussing <laughs> vampires and vampire films. Unless you don't get our references, Count Dracula, who is in fact a vampire. <laughs> uh, yeah, for those for those of you who aren't cool in the audience and um, aren't obsessed with vampires uh, or Count Chocula, oh, you know, no, other like vampire. cool vampires. Yeah, yeah that's cool another vampires. vampire for sure. Yeah, we'll be discussing vampires this week. Um, we did do, obviously, an episode on monsters, and so this could have... I guess this is like a sub-genre within Monsters is vampire films, but I kind of wanted to get into vampire films, first of all, because a lot of modern vampire tropes come from our neck of the woods, Eastern Europe, and so I thought it would be fun to get into a little bit of that history. Our neck of the woods, Uh, Florida. Well, you know, I'm just saying like our heritage, you know, there's like a lot of of the, a lot of historic um, quote-unquote vampire scares came from Eastern Europe. I thought that would be fun. Um, I've also just always been really obsessed with vampires. Fun fact, I wrote my IB extended essay on Vlad Dracul, which a lot of people think Bram Stoker-based um, Count Dracula off of um, because I was nice. that obsessed. I was, and I was also very nerdy. I didn't just do it on the book Dracula and, like a normal. Well, person. we also had that book that was like the thirteen most evil people in history, evil men and women in history. I read it. A, a I probably times. read that book about ten times. Um, <laughs> I don't think that. I mean, some of those people they have you have Hitler in there, uh, kind of on the yeah. level with like uh, Bloody Mary. So it's not, mm-hmm. you know. I think they could have come up with someone a little bit more evil than Bloody Mary, but Count Dracula or Vlad mm-hmm. the Impaler, I think he was—he was probably one of the most evil people in history, right? So I thought well, that book was great, well, though. I read that thing front to back multiple times. Side note: um, Elizabeth Bathory, who is in that book, um, and the lore about her was that she like bathed in the blood of virgins mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I actually have listened to a podcast and did some reading that that might have been a political conspiracy, and that she Would didn't actually commit all of those murders. Um, anyway, that's a really big tangent. Um, so yes, Uh this week we'll be discussing vampires. This is obviously a huge topic. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could get into. I mean, we could honestly do a a multi-part series just on vampires, vampire lore, Mm -hmm. vampires across cultures, um, vampire movies and films and, and just vampire, uh, you know, vampire mythology and all of the different symbolisms that's wrapped up with, uh, different vampire stories. But I kind of just 
we're going to hit the highlights um, and then we're going to focus on some themes that uh, come up in the films that we chose. But before we get into that, uh, Curtis, what are you drinking this week? Uh, I'm keeping it simple this week. Not as simple as a Bush Camo can, which I've been promising for months at this point. And so I'm not You're really letting the listeners down. Procure as of yet. Um, <laughs> but I'm just drinking a Cerveza Modelo Negro uh, today, also known as nice. Beer Modelo Dark. Uh, I th- mm. That's probably not how it's exactly translated. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm drinking a Modelo Negro. Um, I've just been, it's been hot, really hot. So I've been kind of leaning more towards Mexican beers when I go out to the store and buy one. But I prefer the darker to the lighter Mexican beers. And so I got some Modelo. We got, we ordered some tacos on uh, Uber Eats on Friday night. And uh, we're recording Damn. this on a Monday. So. I wanted to drink some beer with it, so I had some really good tacos and some beer. We have actually Damn. have taco places in Tampa, unlike in Tallahassee, so uh, really been enjoying okay. that. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> anyway. Unnecessary dig, anyway, um, but okay. That's what I'm uh, drinking. Well, really hmm. good beer. Okay, I was going to talk about what I was going to drink, but now I feel like uncomfortably defensive. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let it slide. Um, well, this week I'm drinking. We were actually just talking about Trader Joe's mm-hmm. before we started recording. Or Trader, Trader Giotto's if you get something oh. that's Italian. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally ruined your joke. Yeah, that was really funny. I called myself a Trader <laughs> Ho. And you... <laughs> I like I like the vaguely vaguely uncomfortable Trader Jose like line of products. <laughs> or there's a Chinese one too. What's the Chinese one? Oh, there's one that's a Chinese one. Yeah. I like Trader Giada's yeah, the that most. One's really... And uh, sidebar, as I'm sure um, this is probably the fifth sidebar that we've done so far. But there's a place in town next to the movie theater that me and Chanel go to after the movie sometimes called Tampa Joe's, and we started calling it Tampa Giados, and for some reason. <laughs> Every time we say that, I just crack up because I'm <laughs> dumb and my brain associates one dumb thing with another dumb thing. And uh, anyway, yeah, Tramp- Tampa Giados is really good. Tampa Joe's is really good. Trader Giados, Trader Joe's, it's all good. So anyway, but when you shop at Trader Joe's as often as I do, you're a Trader Ho. That's yeah, all I'm gonna say. I think I'm a so, Trader Ho too. So every time I go to Trader Joe's, you know, like you go in there and it's just like. I want to buy all this dumb shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I never go in and buy just things on my list. I always have to pick up something stupid. But this time I went and I always give myself permission to buy one fun thing. And so they have all these different like sodas and stuff. And Justin and I have all these like bottles of liquor that we never drink. And instead of buying my usual, you know, three bottles of two buck chuck, I bought some fancy mixers for our liquor. So I bought Weirdly enough, Trader Giotto's uh, <laughs> Italian blood orange soda, and I mixed it with some Tanqueray, and I have some blueberries in there as well, wow. which I will. Wow. Yeah. So I made myself Jeez, a little cocktail, Monday night shit. cocktail. That's I know. I'm on my adult shit. I just ordered a bar cart, okay? I'm a fucking adult, like in Mad Men adult type of stuff. You know, I'm the one so. that just turned 30, but I still have a lot of catching up to do, I think. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah. But... I mean, it's kind of embarrassing for you. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> So vampires, I have an outline here. I'm going to try to stick to the outline. I want us to have a good discussion, but I also don't want to be here all night. Um, Not me neither. I'm sure you can agree. So the first thing on my outline I wanted to discuss is what is a vampire? So if if someone were to ask you, like, how to describe a vampire, what would you say? Um, A so. My first, I would kind of start by comparison because for some reason in contemporary times, zombies are more kind of popular in popular culture than vampires. So I'd kind of say it's like a more humane 
zombie sort of like it is Hmm. the undead but they retain much more of their human characteristics a lot of times they're sexy sharp Mm -hmm. teeth but they're i think they serve the same function as a zombie you get bit by a vampire you become a vampire you get bit by a zombie you become a zombie so i would say it's like a zombie but with more humane and human qualities I think that's fair. And as I was doing research into vampires, um, other people have made that comparison. And in fact, in certain cultures, what like what we might describe as a vampire is actually characterized as more of like a zombie creature. You know, it's just like that fact of being like reanimated and undead. Um, so I have here and a lot of this came from Wikipedia. Thank Don't you. judge. Thank you. Wikipedia. Because, well, you know, when you look into it, there's not a lot of great like sources on just like generally like what is a vampire you know Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of the stuff that you'll look up is about like vampire themes in in movies and like and other kind of stuff like that so for my general information i turn to wikipedia um which says that a vampire is a being from folklore that subsists by feeding on the vital force generally in the form of blood of the living in european folklore which is where a lot of pop culture uh, uh vampirism comes from Vampires were undead beings that often visited loved ones and caused mischief or deaths in the neighborhoods they inhabited while they were were alive. They wore shrouds and were often described as bloated and of ruddy or dark countenance, markedly different from today's gaunt pale vampire, which dates from the earliest early 19th century. And honestly, a lot of like what we consider to be uh, the marks of a vampire now really did come from Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then later on, like Bella Lugosi's Dracula, you can really pinpoint that as being what we mo- like, what we think of as a vampire, mm-hmm. even though throughout most of history, as you said, a vampire was more similar to a zombie. Well, even, and like, even especially just sexy. hitting on uh, your point about Bella Lugosi being such like an iconic vampire figure. Think about 10 years before what was a van- what the first vampire movie ever made Nosferatu. Look at that vampire. I mean, mm-hmm. that is much more akin to like a shambling zombie that we now know than it is to like what we think of as a vampire, which is more sexy and humane mm-hmm. and alluring. Um, so yeah. even over those 10 years, what was to be what was to become of what a vampire is in popular consciousness was um, drastically changed uh, by Bela yeah. Lugosi's performance in Dracula. Because he was so sexy. I mean, he, he I mean, he is he is like the er <laughs> vampire. Like when you think vampire, I mean, you could trace like Twilight back to that vampire. movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically sexy vampires are sexy. And that's how we mm-hmm. think of them to this day. Yeah. Um, And since uh, we actually, weirdly enough, both chose um, foreign horror films, Mm -hmm. not from Eastern Europe, Mm -hmm. um, for our choices today. So I wanted to get into um, Legends of Vampires Across Cultures just very briefly. Um, So Legends of Vampires have existed for millennia. Cultures such as the Mesopotamians, Hebrews, Ancient Greeks, and Romans had tales of demonic entities and blood-drinking spirits, which are considered precursors to modern vampires. Despite the occurrence of vampire-like creatures in these ancient civilizations, the folklore for the entity we know today as the vampire originates almost exclusively from early 18th century southeastern Europe, particularly Transylvania. And I just want to point out, um, I'm not going to get nearly into the level of detail that this Wikipedia page, which is called Vampire Folklore by Region, does, but I read the whole thing and it's fascinating. Um, There's... There's sections on medieval and early modern Europe. There's sections on um, so that so you know so there's that. 
including like Iceland, Romania, Ireland, and Scotland. Um, but then it also goes into vampires in Africa, the Amer- the Americas, and Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the section on on Africa is really interesting because I feel like I don't know about you, but I don't. I, I don't know too much about like African folklore oh, um, for the most part. And every time I get into it, I'm like, wow, it's really interesting because I don't know about you. I just think it's crazy. Like how different parts of the world that until very recently weren't very well connected have like similar, you know, similar yeah. stories, similar about stories, things. but with like, you know, different cultural flair or touches or different names for things. But yeah, no, that is really cool. I'll have to look into mm-hmm. that. And so as um, we said, or as I said, I wrote my extended essay on Vlad Dracul. So I thought it would be cool to give a, like, a brief history of him. Um, if you want a more con- uh, complete history, I would check out um, a little essay written in about 2008. Um, I don't know where you could find that written by the young, illustrious Taylor, but I really think it gives a pretty good background of him. Um, I took a lot of the information out of the most evil men and women in history. Yes, um, yes. Great <laughs> I don't source. know if that was the most accurate source. <laughs> I think, that, I did, I think um, that book cites the Black Book of Communism about, you know, half a dozen times, which has been that's repeatedly lit. That's lit. debunked. <laughs> but hey, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a book um, that we loved as kids. So, you know. So, uh, so... I got this information from like a little listicle on thought catalog, but you can look up like Vlad Dracul. There's like a bunch of books on him. He was a very like interesting slash, you know, evil historical figure. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people believe that Dracula was um, based on the Valachian prince Vlad Tepes or Vlad Dracul, meaning the dragon. Um, But even though there's no evidence of Bram Stoker, like having known of him, I mean, the Dracul and Dracula is um, a little bit too much of a coincidence um, for me. And so basically, and I'm not going to read all of this out, but basically he was known as Vlad the Impaler because he came he came to rule in what was known at the time as like Valachia, I believe, mm-hmm. but now is basically like Transylvania and then now Romania. Mm-hmm. Um, and he conquered a lot of Eastern Europe and the way that he killed his victims was by impaling them. Ugh. And so... There was a lot of, you know, and I we won't get into this topic too, too much. I'm going to get into it a little bit when I discuss my movie. But there's kind of like a sexual symbolism with impaling people. And then there's similar sexual symbolism with vampires, like impaling people with their teeth. And so there's kind of like that going on. Um, but also just the fact that he was like an evil and bloodthirsty person from Eastern Europe. People are like, yeah, that That's he must creepy. have been. I mean, think yeah. of what is a worse way of dying than impaling? I mean, drowning would suck, but um, getting impaled? Are you kidding impaled- me? and like crucified because oh, it wasn't yeah. until it wasn't until recently that i realized that when you're crucified you kind of like a lot of times just die of thirst which yeah. really sucks well and just, you're just like hanging out there just think about it like the weight of your uh, one thing i read you know uh, a few books about well not a few books i like articles wikipedia articles or something about <laughs> crucifixion before because <laughs> i got really fascinated by it after the passion of the christ came out and i was terrified by it by a kid but um, Who wasn't? Yeah. they were talking about how during crucifixion, your like body sags, like the weight of gravity goes down. So these nails are just like slowly ripping through your body. So I bet that would be that really awful, too. Um, yeah. So and, you know, same thing with impaling. Like, you know, you're not even if you don't immediately die, like the, the just the absolute horrible pain uh, must be awful. Anyway, uh, just a little sidebar once again. Mm-hmm. No, that was really um, that was really awesome um, <laughs> and useful. I. <laughs> 
Um, so you have a, a film from North Europe, and yes. there are some um, vampire tales from Northern Europe that people can can look up. Um, my uh, film is actually from South Korea, and I wasn't able to find any um, vampiric lore um, from South Korea. And in fact, it seemed like a lot of the vampiric lore um, on the Asian peninsula was from um, like China and Malaysia and stuff. So I don't know. I would personally, I'm just kind of saying it on the pod so I can hold myself accountable. I would like to look more into that because I find it kind of hard to believe. Listeners, hold her to that promise. Yeah. I did also read that apparently Japan has no native stories of vampires, um, Mm. but they did kind of get in on the global craze and start making vampire movies in about the, like, 1950s, but they have no, like, um, they have no home-based, like, You know, I honestly can't think of one. There are a few zombie, Japanese zombie movies I've seen. I can't think of one Japanese vampire movie off the top of my head, though. So yeah, it is unusual to, to see an Asian, especially an East Asian vampire movie, I think. Yeah, and um, I was I was trying to think of, I was trying to, uh, like, think of examples. I guess I could have Googled it, um, but uh, what's What's I the didn't. fun in that? So the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was kind of uh, pandemics of vampirism. So kind of like similar to how in the early ages, of, you know, in, in the Puritan time in what then later became the United States, where there was like an actual like witch hunt, you know, where people really thought witches like existed. You know, people really thought that vampires existed. And there are several instances in history in which um, there was like an outbreak of vampirism and people were like actually killed for being vampires. Apparently um, in 2009, I forget where, but they found like a bones of like a young girl who like uh, had had like a stake driven through her hands. And so in the 18th century, there was a, a, a spate of vampire sightings in Southeastern Europe in Transylvania with frequent stakings and grave diggings taking place to identify and kill the potential revenants. And um, it says even government officials were, like, joining in on, like, hunting down vampires. Um, and so it's this has been, like, described as a mass, t- mass hysteria throughout most of Europe. Um, and there was, like, a bunch of vampire sightings and, like, people were going crazy. And, in fact, it, it got so over overdone um, that... It says the Empress Maria Theresa of Austria sent her personal physician to investigate the claims of vampiric entities. He concluded that vampires did not exist, and the Empress passed laws prohibiting the opening of graves and the desecration of bodies, sounding the end of the vampire epidemics. Mm -hmm. Although, despite this condemnation, the vampire lived on in artistic works and in local superstition. Um, I did just read that off the Wikipedia page, but I remember hearing that on a podcast. I believe it was on... Um, stuff they don't want you to know podcast and I like always thought that was so interesting because I can't think of like another example in which like a craze over a supernatural entity was such that like the empress or like the king or like someone had to stop it step in and be like okay I'll just do a study and I'm gonna prove to all you losers okay, that this isn't real. Come on. yeah I just and I always I really thought that was like so interesting because I can't think of like another example you know and not that i'm like a history buff necessarily but i can't think of any other examples off the top of my head in which like someone had to stop step in to stop it and um it's just like interesting that it was like about vampires because i i think part of it seems like i could see where people could think it was real because you know people used to like think that someone was 
dead and they weren't actually people used to not like like, take showers or baths and it caused the black (laughs) plague so i mean yeah well i mean you know well because because vampires are said to rise from the dead i can imagine if someone was presumed dead but then actually wasn't dead yeah they could say oh maybe that person is a vampire and then in a lot of folkloric traditions babies born with certain like birth defects and birth marks were also just considered vampires and that was that so i guess you know, the bar is kind of like a, a little bit, I, I guess it's just a little bit more low for being <laughs> considered a vampire. Because they were idiots whereas, back then, basically. Yeah, but like, whereas with like, at least like with the witch sightings, it was the fact that like, you know, it was the fact that there was like a bunch of people and they had these strange afflictions and people were like, well, why are they acting that way? And then they accused mm-hmm. people of being witches and that was it. Like to be a vampire was just like, oh, you have a weird mole on your face. You must be a vampire. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, so, that's interesting. Um, I want, and I wonder, yeah. you know, if that's did so. All that stuff happened. Then Bram Stoker wrote his book, so it wasn't a cause of the mm-hmm. book that caused the hysteria. No, and, and Bram Stoker wrote his book. So this was all in the 18th century. So you know the 1700s. Yeah, and Bram Stoker wrote his book in like 18 the 1890s. But by then there was such like a rich tradition of like folklore um especially about the area that he was writing in Mm -hmm. and you know he also was like a writer during the gothic period and they were like very interested in like in like deep deep horror Mm -hmm. um themes and i guess you know the vampire is like kind of one of the oldest of those deep themes absolutely absolutely all right so um now i just kind of want to open the floor for modern literary and film takes on the vampire um we discussed a little bit how um what we know what we know now as vampires um like what we picture in our head is really based off of um bram stoker's dracula and i i guess i just find it interesting that that has held true for like so long Mm -hmm. that there is hasn't been another because and here's why I was thinking about zombies, for instance, um, and how much they have changed even since Night of the Living Dead. How now, when you think of zombies, you might think of Night of the Living Dead. You might think of, like, The Walking Dead, which is a little different. You might think of, like, those zombies that, like, run. Yeah, like 28 Days Later. Yeah, Yeah, like, there's... But, like, again, with vampires, it's, like, even the vampires in Twilight or the vampires in, like, What We Do in the Shadows, they all are based kind of off of that well it's it's interesting that you mentioned what we do in the shadows too because um what we do in the shadows is like all brom stoker like sexy kind of vampires but there is that one vampire that's like nosferatu (laughs) and he's really old and that is like peter (laughs) yeah and that's like um yeah peter (laughs) that's right (laughs) i forgot his name for a second but that's like i always thought that was really funny because it's like you have like this very consistent vampire lore throughout like movie history especially but there's like this one like kind of aberration that Nosferatu movies and like mm-hmm. he's kind of like a minor but like comedic relief character almost in that show but it is it's very interesting that vampires have changed so little in almost a hundred years at this point um yeah you know there are some variations I watched I mentioned I had watched the Lost Boys recently in a recent episode that's kind of a variation on the vampire because it's associated near dark is a similar one it's more associated with like teen culture and younger vampires but even then they're sexy you know like the same thing goes for the twilight movie they're you know hip sexy vampires and it's just again even with these little tweaks there's been so little change for better or for worse i i think i think of vampire films as almost like comfort food a little bit like you watch a vampire yeah. film and you know kind of what you're gonna get 
Well, and I also wonder, like, what would it take for us to to move the needle on what, like, what we view as a vampire, too? Because I think, um, and I'm going to talk about this more with my movie, but I think the vampire movie or the vampire trope in um, pop culture is just kind of a nexus of a lot of things that a lot of pop culture pop culture is like obsessed with so like love forbidden love like sex and sexuality um death and living beyond death you know and so i just think that like those are tropes that like people come back to again and again and again and i wonder if that's why we haven't really been able to think outside of that because like that's the kind of stuff people will want to talk about you know well, so like why why change it? and like why go from having a sexy vampire to an ugly vampire people prefer like yeah sexy things but also you know? like so. i i kind of go back to the zombie comparison i made before like a vampire is basically just a sexy zombie so it's almost because it, because it's almost like a subcategorization of zombie if you have a film where you're going to create a undead character that has personality that maybe has some sex appeal that's going to be a, a vampire if it's anything other than that it's going to be a zombie so maybe yeah. that's why it's so like especially with the prevalence of zombies and not so much 2019 as like maybe 2014 or even 2010 like where zombies just were in every single video game every single movie every single tv show just everywhere but even today like i feel like zombies are so prevalent in our culture that vampires are this thing whereas mm-hmm. like zombies are everything that is not that thing you know I, yeah. I think that's kind of why it's been shoehorned into again for better I don't know if that's a bad thing though because again zombie films to or um, excuse me vampire films to me are such like a comfort food like you know you're gonna get that gothic feel most of the time and not so maybe it's not so, so much the twilight movies or even the films that we're talking about today but you know you're probably <laughs> gonna get like a gothic feel you're going to get a yeah. character with some personality. You're going to get, you know, just familiar tropes and story beats. And I kind of I kind of like that about vampire films, to be honest. Yeah. And I, you know, I like pretty much every vampire film I've ever seen. And so I am not complaining. I just do think it's curious because, again, we chose two, you know, foreign horror, horror films. So they're not necessarily like having to rely on the same like tropes and stuff like that but even these two films are pretty similar yeah, to like, they're very unconventional the, for vampire films but still like but they still have, have the beats. same and, and 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 again they still play, play by the same rules that other like vampire movies play by like not to not to ruin too much about any of the two films but like they can't go out in the sun yeah. and they drink blood yeah. and you know like all that kind of stuff so um, and again, that's a very narrow view of what vampires have historically been throughout different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that they can't go in the sun, the idea that they drink blood, the idea that they're like, you know, pale and sexy. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so that's I, I just think it's interesting that like essentially one book, Dracula, had such an effect on um, a worldwide cultural phenomenon, you know, mm-hmm. so that we mostly think of one thing when we think of vampires. So with that said, um, I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to say in, in general about vampires, but I thought maybe we could dive into our movie. Well, before we do that, I just wanted to ask, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but what's your, I, I always like to ask this on our topics now because it's a fun thing, but what's your favorite mm-hmm. vampire movie of all time? I, I, I thought about that. Um, it's really hard for me to say because if I'm being totally, totally, totally honest, I really do think it is... <laughs> what we do in the shadows um, um, yeah. <laughs> because 
first of all, it has all of the fun tropes in it. It has like a few like fun kind of scares, you know, and it's funny. And it and I what I like about it, too, is that there's like four or five, five. Well, there becomes five yes, vampires yes. and they each represent a different kind of sub trope within mm-hmm. vampire history. So, you know, if you're not really into vampire movies, you might not notice that Peter is like supposed to be Nosferatu, for instance, but that it doesn't matter. It, the movie still works, yeah. you know, and I've seen it like four times. Have you seen the television really show funny. yet? No, I haven't. I seen heard the it's excellent. I, I, I want to check it yeah. out at some point, but um, I really like what they're like. I forget what the one name is, but they're like. This is so and so. He's like the cool vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That part's one of my favorite. I just that movie is fantastic, and especially yeah. if you're into vampire movies like we are, and we've watched yeah. you know every one that we can get our hands on. It's just so funny. Um, yeah, I really do. But enjoy it. I mean, I've mentioned before my favorite vampire movie are the Nosferatu movies. I just think they're so mm-hmm. unique, and they are kind of that little twist on the vampire genre. Ironically enough, since it was the first ever vampire movie, but it is kind of that twist on the genre that I really mm-hmm. like. But um, I also want to give a shout out, not just, I mean, the movie I picked today, I obviously picked because it's, you know, one of an, all, an all-time classic vampire movie. But I also really like Fright Night, which our mom introduced us to, uh, a, f- oh. a vampire film from the late 80s, I think 87. But it's about um, this kid who, um, his uh, he has um a new guy moves in like a like a bachelor moves in next door and he starts to suspect that he's a vampire and Mm. it you know spoiler alert he is he is a vampire but um it has a lot of like that gothic feel especially the uh, neighbor's house but also i love how it uses kind of the tropes like you know how you're not supposed to invite a vampire indoors but his mom is really nice so she lets him in the first time he sees he's already starting to suspect he's a vampire but his mom lets him in like oh billy it's the new neighbor and i don't know it's a funny movie it's a scary movie and it's a really underrated gem uh for people to check out if they feel like they've exhausted a lot of uh the vampire movies and i'm also a defender of the twilight movies i think they're fine just want to put that I actually there. have never seen the Twilight movies, but um, they're not terrible. To be just to be discussed at a later segment of this show, I'm a huge Arpat stan, so I should mm. probably check it out. He was wonderful as Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet yes, of Fire. So yes, strong um, performances all around. <laughs> he had about five lines, but he was very good. <laughs> all right, uh, yeah. Well, why don't you get started? With? Let's talk about your movie. Sure. Um, as I just mentioned, uh, this is one of my favorite vampire films of all time, and it's relatively recent, and it's. A film from Sweden called Let the Right One In. And um, this film came out in 2008. Um, it's directed by Thomas Alfredson, who uh, is a director who had literally no familiarity with horror movies before making this film. Um, I was reading on good old Wikipedia that he actually binged a lot of vampire movies. He he found the script. He, like, you know, he, he came... He, Got the script, read it, was just in love with uh, the idea of the film. It's based off a book. And he had no familiarity with horror films or vampires, and he's made no f- horror films since then. But he really, again, he fell in love with the script and really like did his research to make I, what I feel like is a really classic vampire movie. Um, the stars of this film are, these are uh, Swedish, so please um, give me a break here if I so get them wrong. So you're about to embarrass I'm about yourself. to embarrass okay. myself. So Kare... Hedebrandt, who is the little kid who plays Oscar, and Lena Leanderson, who plays Eli. Yeah, these are relatively simple names, but um, I don't know if this gives it away or not, but this film is starring uh, two uh, children, essentially. I mean, uh, 
it, Oscar, who is a like a, basically a 12-year-old kid, and Eli, who plays the vampire, she presents as kind of a 12 or 13-year-old girl who knows how old she is. But um, both of them are played by child actors who were um, about 10 years old. And apparently, I was reading once again on uh, my favorite source, Wikipedia, <laughs> or I might have got this off of IMDb. I actually don't know, <laughs> but um, apparently, there was an extensive search all over Sweden for the two leads. Like they were posting um, notices in like public schools and posting notices at like I don't know playgrounds and stuff like that. Like try out for this film. It was the most extensive and expensive part of making this film because the director is like I need to find like I read this script I imagined two people in my head I need to find the perfect people and uh, you know he said casting was the most difficult part and he finally landed on these these two kids uh, the actor who plays Oscar uh, was a, not a child actor he had never acted in previously the child actor who plays Eli had like acted in like some commercials or something but um, anyway it, it's just really interesting um, they have great chemistry on screen they do a fantastic job um, it's always hard to tell with foreign films a little bit because they're speaking a different language but everything seemed really mm-hmm. natural they had great chemistry um, another little interesting thing I mentioned you know Eli the, the the character who plays Eli the girl and I'll get into the plot in a second but um, you know she's playing a vampire who is of indeterminate age she became a vampire when she was a kid and has remained you know a kid in a kid form ever since then. But actually uh, the actress who plays Eli, her voice is not Eli's voice. They actually used an adult actor to do her voice. I don't know if you knew that, but you can kind of, t- knowing that I could kind of tell, um, you know, just a little bit. It just sounded like a huskier, older sounding voice. Yeah, that's true. She did have kind of a deep voice for like a little girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It is. It's just interesting. And they also, um, you know, I'll get more into this a little bit later, but they wanted in the novel, Eli is kind of is actually a boy is an androgynous boy who is missing um, her, his, her sexual organs. And there's actually a nod to that in this film, but um, he, he wanted there to be like some ambiguity as to, I guess the, the gender of the vampire, because he wanted the relationship between the boy Oscar and the vampire to be like, not sexual i guess you know but like kind of like a pure like genuine relationship between these two people and so i guess um the voice as well kind of lends to that a little bit not only is like she older but like because there's a deeper older person's voice doing this you don't notice that she's like a little girl basically so just a lot of really interesting tidbits on front i also have some trivia at the end so we're in for a real treat um in discussing this film that's amazing yeah but anyway i've blathered on enough about these little (laughs) tidbits let me get to the plot a little bit so um this film is about a a, the main character is oscar who is not a vampire he is um a little boy who's um lives with his mother um him and his mother his mother and his father are uh divorced so he's very lonely and uh, often bullied at school. And let me tell you, the bullies in this film are real little shits and uh, get everything they deserve in this film. Wouldn't you agree, Taylor? Um, I have to say some of the stuff gets a little disturbing towards the end, but they are pieces of shit. <laughs> They're <yeah>. little <laughs> shits, okay? Um, and he's getting bullied a lot. And one day he's out. Uh, he lives in... Uh, to be fair, sorry to interrupt, mm. but to be fair, he does get bullied a lot, but he does have a really dorky bowl, bowl cut. And I just feel like his parents <laughs> his should have looked out for him a little, little bit, bit more. Much. And also, yeah. you know, I mean, 
you know, he is. I feel like that's just bad parenting. He's a little like, bit of a different twerp. Haircut. Let's be honest. He's yeah. a little bit of a twerp. He's a little bit of a But he's twerp. a cute little guy. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. <laughs> he seems like a nice enough kid. <laughs> but anyway, he uh, he is uh, one day he's just uh, hanging out in his apartment complex's uh, playground. And well, before this, he noticed that someone moves in next door to him. Um, and and then a little bit later, he's playing down his apartment's playground and a girl uh, approaches him and is like, who are you? Like, and they start talking a little bit. She's like, oh, you probably shouldn't talk to me. Like, you know, uh, you know, don't don't think you can hang out with me, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, you know, he one day he's down there again and she's actually he notices that she's down there so he goes down there and starts playing with his rubik's cube like all by himself but like obviously trying to invite her attention and she's like what the hell is this what are you doing there and uh he gives it to her she solves it he's really impressed and from there on they become uh pretty close friends and uh start hanging out with a little bit more but as it turns out uh this little girl is a vampire and um you know, I, the story's pretty simple. There's a lot of little uh, beats there that kind of... The, the, the story's essentially about their, their developing relationship and uh, he's getting bullied more and more and they become really close because basically they're both very lonely. She has a little helper guy who... Uh, a familiar. A familiar. Um, and actually, there um, I read that in the book there are um, some suggestions that he is a pedophile, which I'm glad they kept out of the film because I thought the film did very well to focus on the relationship between these two characters. Um, so I'm glad that wasn't in there. But early on in the film, he is trying to like basically get blood for her. He goes out. He's basically does the job for her of like killing people and extracting their blood. But um, he at one point he kind of botches the job and almost gets caught and so he like disfigures his face gets goes to the hospital and she you know is like thank you for all you did to me and kills him and drinks his blood um not important really but uh this the, essentially the crux of the film and I'll, I'll get into spoiler territory here because this is a film where i feel like you don't you know if you even if you have this movie spoiled for you it's still like helpful so i'll get into the spoiler territory here basically um and if you don't want to listen to this just move ahead a minute or so but basically, as the plot escalates, they become closer and closer. She's like saying that she is going to leave because she doesn't want to rope him into her, you know, vampire lifestyle or whatever. And so they kind of move on with their lives. And at one time, though, he is doing water aerobics. Long story. I won't get into that. But he's doing water aerobics in his school gym. And he is surrounded by these like three bullies plus one of the bullies, older brother, who is very, very menacing. Um, so he is actually about to get drowned by these bullies when she shows up and just decimates these kids. You see an arm and a head go into the water. You don't see, it's not very graphic, but you do see uh, some body parts flying into the water. And then the end of the film is um, him. He is on a train holding a box and inside the box is her. They're communicating via uh, Morse code in the box. And this is a, just an excellent film. I mean, it's just a film that focuses on, the relationship between these two very lonely characters, um, I really just enjoyed their story. But I wanted to, before I kind of get into uh, the themes here and tie it back into the vampire stuff, I wanted to know what you thought about the ending because the first time I watched this film, I watched the ending and I thought it was a happy ending. And I was like, you know, they get to be together. They're such good friends. You know, I'm glad that she saved him and now he has like a real family. The second time I watched it, I saw 
it more as he is becoming the new familiar and he's going to basically serve her for the rest of his life and sacrifice himself. And that's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that is what's going to happen. I mean, I guess it's possible that like she could also make him a vampire. Don't know why he would necessarily want that or why she would want that. Cause then they need to share all the blood they find. Yeah. Anyway, you know, that's kind of a, that's, a, that's a side tangent that I was thinking about, but um, I agree with you because I think when I brought this up during our top five foreign films episode, and we didn't talk about it that much at that mm-hmm. time because at that point we both knew we were going to do it for this episode. Um, but I, I told you that when I watched it again for the first time, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I was really commenting on how I thought it was like such a sad, sad, sad movie, mm-hmm. you know, because – you know, when I was, like, younger, I used to be like, well, as long as you have, like, that one friend, like, it's you against the world, like, you can do anything. No. But it's it that's not true. No, like, it's not. <laughs> it, it's not true. Like, not that, like, you know, any one of my friends, I wouldn't be happy if, you know, I just had them. But it really is about, like, I think this movie is good at showing, like, how isolated they both are and how just because they're together, that doesn't make them any less isolated from the world around them. Um, other people are shown almost exclusively in groups. So there's like a group of friends yes. that are like that yes. meet together at a diner. There's the group of friends that like bullies Oscar, but like Oscar and Ely like are always shown alone. And even that final scene that you were mentioning, like it's still him effectively like alone. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's communicating in, in Morse code, but like that's not to the outside yeah, world. He's really just a life. sitting there holding a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Right. Um, and I mean, and you had brought this up kind of before the podcast started recording. So I don't want to steal your thunder and I hope you talk more about it. But I think this film really highlights like the vampire lore of like the solitary creature and how that could come across as like very aloof and like very cool and very sophisticated. But this movie does a good job of showing like, no, that's like lonely as shit. Yeah. Like, when I was a kid, I would be like, whoa, it must be cool to be immortal. You would experience so much. And now I'm like, God, that it's sounds awful. like the fucking worst. Everyone you love will die and you'll be alone, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, let me let me get into that theme then because that's the theme I kind of want to discuss because we're talking, you know, at the start of this podcast about, you know, kind of the view of vampires as sexy and, you know, dashing and slick and all this kinds of stuff. And, I mean, you know, Ellie is like... You know, she's a little girl, but like, you know, she's young and exciting and vibrant at certain points in this film, except when she's not getting her blood, she <laughs> becomes very pale and lethargic and all this kinds of stuff. And I right. think other vampire films explore that theme a little bit uh, to a certain extent. But one theme that I thought this film explored um, that really I've only ever seen in one other film, and that is Nosferatu especially the uh, remake from the 70s, is uh, exclusion or isolation of vampire. Because like you said, I mean, imagine being immortal, like how lonely and how much of an outcast you would feel like. And there's a little bit of a twist in this film. I mean, obviously you have two characters finding some commonality in their loneliness. But um, even that, though, I think is a little bit sad because you see the character of her familiar is called Hakan. His name is Hakan. You see his character and he just seems kind of like a dour, sad old man, you know, and eventually he Mm -hmm. he dies. And, you know, what has he done with his life other than serve this vampire all his life? But, um, you know, I I guess that is the main theme of uh, the theme in this film is exclusion. And I think that's something that vampire films don't explore enough. 
And um, I'm gonna read a little bit from this article, which is entitled, Let the Right One In, Exclusion and Isolation Within the Outsider Status. By And this is an article by Brian Osoro from, uh, it's an article on Vanderbilt, uh, written by a Vanderbilt scholar, I guess is where he goes to school. But I'm gonna read a little bit of an excerpt from his article and it says, um, for lovers of the vampire folklore, this film does not disappoint as it retains many features of Fang mythology, albeit dispensing others. For instance, there are no wooden stakes, crosses, garlic, mirrors, or even visible fangs. However, the film underscores features such as unusual body or- order, scorching in the sun, superhuman strength, resistance to low temperatures, obsession with puzzles, and the necessity for an invitation uh, for vampires to enter a dwelling, hence the title. And actually, just a little sidebar, one of the coolest scenes in this film is when he lets her into his home but doesn't invite her in and her pores begin bleeding. I thought that was a really, really uh, cool effect. But anyway, Ellie demonstrates one such feature through her prowess with the Rubik's Cube and another in how she bleeds from every orifice upon her body upon entering Oscar's house without invitation. Yet these two features depict Ellie essentially an outsider who desires to be understood and invited in. As a vampire, Ellie is excluded and isolated from the wider human and social network. Accompanied by her father figure, Hakan, her familiar, she moves to into the Stockholm suburbs as Oscar's mysterious next-door neighbor. She doesn't go to school and only comes out at night to join Oscar at the jungle gym. Moreover, she has no friends except Oscar, with whom it takes time and trust for her to finally open up to and share her deepest, darkest secret with, that she lives off of human blood. Towards the end of the film, she asks Oscar to touch an enormous Fabergé-style egg, which then shatters into numerous tiny pieces, revealing a treasure trove of hidden jewelry and keys. It is within a reason to assume that this simple act could represent Ellie finally shading off her outsider status to Oscar and inviting his support and empathy. Ellie's appeal for empathy is strongest when she enters Oscar's house without invitation and begins to bleed. When Oscar embraces her and asks her what she is, she just says, just like you. Oscar rejects her response by saying that he doesn't kill people, to which he replies, but you'd like to if you could, to get revenge. I do it because I have to. She then begs me to be me a little. It is inarguable that killing people is wrong and cannot be condoned under any circumstances. Side note, not true. Anyway, however, we cannot help but sympathize with Ellie's situation as she is simply trying to survive. Hers is a call to be... Be, avoid being quick to judge and instead put ourselves in the lives of people with whom we think we share little in common, the outsider in all of our lives. So it's interesting the, the view that this film takes to the vampire's outsider status. Compare it to, say, to Nosferatu, where he's seen as an outsider. He's seen as a monster, something to like be destroyed, basically. But in this film, we have a lot of sympathy with the vampire and we have a lot of sympathy for Oscar, who's being bullied. And we have a lot, like, you and I both experience, like, a, lot, a good deal of sadness when watching this film, especially with how it plays out, because you have these two outsider figures being able to find solace with each other, but really with nothing else. So I do feel like this film doesn't, is unique in a vampire film, is it doesn't treat the vampire like a monster. It treats the vampire like something to be sympathized with. Like, she's not killing because she has to, because she wants to, she's killing because she has to. That's literally how she has to survive. And Oscar is also taking actions, which he feels like he has to do to survive as well. So I just think just, you know, overall, this film is just a really interesting film in kind of the vampire canon because it takes all of these familiar aspects that you and I have talked about in vampire films, but kind of turns them on their head a little bit to make us think like in different ways about the vampire character. She's not a monster. She is like 
opposed to being someone who's a monster, she's someone to sympathize with. We still see kind of the effects of her, you know, vampirism. We see uh, the character who is bitten by her and like explodes into flame after she herself becomes a vampire and is exposed to sunlight. I mean, there's still horrifying aspects to being a vampire, but you're still able to sympathize with her a little bit because it's not like she chose her condition. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, I just find I just think this film is a really great vampire film because it gets you to think uh, about it, while taking these elements that we know and are familiar with as a vampire mil- film gets you to think a different way than the typical vampire film does, um, and it's just really well made. I mean, there it's not necessarily the most scary film you ever watch in your entire life there are some moments that are creepy and gory and uh scary but um for the most part it's just a really thoughtful and touching film you really grow to love these two child actors child characters and uh it's if you haven't seen it before uh if you're not a huge fan of foreign horror films uh this is definitely one to put near the top of your list if you're going to check something like that out yeah, I totally agree. And it's really, like, beautiful. So there's there's a lot of things to to like about it. Um, the acting is good. The story is, like, really sad and poignant. And then it's just, like, honestly, to be to be honest, it's just really nice to look at. Exactly. So it has that going for it as well. Exactly. And uh, yep. before I uh, finish, I promise some trivia. I'm just going to give you one piece of trivia. And this is a really thing that's near and dear to our heart. Uh, the cat scene in this film. There's a character that has uh, a lot of cats. And he is friends with a woman who gets pit, bit by Ellie and she enters uh, his apartment and all these cats just start getting really pissed off and attacking her. And <laughs> uh, the to do this scene, there's a lot of, you know, again, a lot of cats attacking this woman. To do this scene, they, of course, use real cats. I mean, you can tell they're using real cats. They use CGI cats and they also used stuffed animals to recreate this scene. So I was watching this scene. I, I knew this trivia. I read this trivia before I started. I watched this scene and I actually paused at a few points. I could not tell which ones were the stuffed animals. So oh, I don't know what kind of stuffed animals they used for this scene, but they did a great job. You could tell a little bit what the CGI ones were when you paused it, but they pulled off the stuffed That's animal. That's like when... It's like when Rudy used to climb up on Natalie's uh, stuffed animal table and we wouldn't be able to find him because <laughs> he looks like a stuffed animal. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Cats do look like stuffed animals sometimes. Maybe that's what it is. But uh, anyway. He has very soft paws. I think that's what it yes, is. Yes, and he is just a big fluffy man. So yeah. uh, anyway, this is a great film. Uh, highly yep. recommend it. Really thoughtful, really just touching and really sad. So check it out. Yeah. No, it's a great film. That's why it was on my top five foreign list. I really enjoyed Good point. it. Um, yes, yeah, and it's it's highly recommended. Um, but let's let's move on. We're running a, a tad. Yes, late, I so blathered I a sure. little bit. I I read four <laughs> whole paragraphs from my source. You'll have to excuse me. <laughs> um, no, it's okay because I just I really want to make sure that um, we get into the discussion of my film because it was a new film for both yes. of us. Um, I want it to be different. Um, I'm different. That's like the story. Yeah, yeah it's just different. Yeah, I'm different. Story of my life. I just really want to be different. <laughs> and I googled foreign vampire films because I was like, you know, try again. I'm different. I'm diff- um, and then I see that there's a little film directed by a, a little director <laughs> named Park Chan Wook, who, as you Five know, I stand extremely. Hard Will four. Park Chan Wook, five foot four, uh, 105 pounds. Uh, I no, I made I that up totally. Okay, I think that's like Natalie's <laughs> measurement, but okay. Um, 
Yeah, Park Chan-wook, who obviously, um, he did the Revenge trilogy of which Old Boy, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and so the I was Handmaiden like, well, I, too, which you, yeah. I have been imploring you to check out. That film's awesome. Right. So I was like, watching this film is a must, must, must. I don't care. Like, I'll just watch it. Um, and that film is called Thirst. Mm. It's from 2009. And it actually, um, it stars Soon Kang Ho, who also starred in another Ah Real Films film, the host, which yep. we discussed in our monster horror film. So there's a lot of lot of overlaps going Looking on. Looking very here. different in this film, I must say. He looks I, so I have to tell you, because I texted you like probably twenty or thirty minutes into watching this, and I was like, Oh my god, this is the guy from the mm-hmm. host. I didn't recognize him because he was so sexy in this <laughs> movie. I was like, Whoa. And so um so yeah, it stars um Song Kang Ho and the Okay, this is a Korean a South Korean film. It's about five hours long. You know, it's, it's it, it was very, shorter than expected. I have to say, I it's only like it, two hours a, long or so. Yeah, it says one hundred and thirty-four yeah, minutes. So, not too bad. Um, yeah, so not not too bad. And I have to say, I was riveted the whole time. Mm. Um, you know, I, I definitely was not a clock watcher, but it was really <laughs> long. It has it has like a complicated plot, but there's like a few basic things that happen, which and I'll just kind of so I'll give the very brief give us the overview. beats. So. Yeah, so Song Kang Ho um, plays Sang Sang Hyun, which I want to point out that S A N G Sang means blood in French. I don't know. I think that might just be a coincidence. Sangre (laughs) in Spanish. There you go. Yes, I feel like that might be a coincidence, but I just wanted to point that out. Um, So he plays um, a Catholic priest. That's very important to this Mm -hmm. film. He plays a Catholic priest. He volunteers at a hospital, and. he provides ministry to two patients and he's like very well known for being um first of all he's a really strict catholic there are some kind of like upsetting things he says at the beginning of the film as being a strict catholic um and but he's you know he's very generous with his patients and everyone really loves him and he goes to um volunteer to he volunteers to participate in a, in an experiment um to find a vaccine for something that's called the Emmanuel virus and he while doing this, um, he flatlines at some point. He gets really, really sick, and then he flatlines, and then he is revived with um, some blood. And after this, he basically finds that he has a hankering um, for human blood. And so the blood that the, was he received from a transfusion made him into a vampire, essentially. Um, before he kind of realizes he's a, a vampire, he goes and connects with an old family friend. And then um, so the family friend is... I don't know. There's so many people. I'm not going to get into everyone's name, but basically the other main character of this film is called um, Teju and she is the old family friend's new wife. And she's very put upon. Um, the old family friend is like, he's like always sick and she always has to take care of him. And yes, um, her mother-in-law is very mean to her and like very domineering. Um, and so basically um, Sang Hyun, like, and she like kind of fall in love and it's obviously this kind of like illicit affair because he's like a catholic priest which for people who possibly don't know means that he's like celibate so he's not supposed to have romantic relationships but they fall in love she like finds out he's a vampire he turns her into a vampire um or maybe she i can't actually remember if she kind of like forced it was it's i can't it's uncertain i i think there was if i remember correctly and it's been a few weeks since i've watched this film i think she was about to die maybe like because of some altercation they got in and he so he like bit her he gave her vampirism i think that's how it happened yeah anywho like 
they come up with this plot basically to like kill her husband. Um, and so they kill the husband and they start taking care of the mom who has kind of gone into this state of shock. She's like in a comatose state. Um, and he and Teju basically like kind of start living together as a married couple. Um, and then, you know, kind of like hilarity ensues. <laughs> I think a really interesting um, part of this film is that um, Teju like becomes, she used to be re- re- like really, really meek. Um, but with him, she's really dominant. And then when she becomes a vampire, she is like delighted at being a vampire. She loves the power it gives her. She's very dominant. She does things after he explicitly like asks her not to like, they kind of argue about that a lot, but I mean, to be honest with you, I thought that part was extremely dope. Um, and so (laughs) she's just going um, around killing people and he's like, he's like, what are you doing? She's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah she's like huh um and then i don't want to give away the ending because i do think this is like unlike let the white, right one in this one has like a lot of plot points yeah. and a lot of things to follow it's very interesting it's very um twisty turny it's also not um a scary film although although i would obviously still call it a horror film um has so so in uh korean this film was originally known as the bat And um, Park Chan-wook said of his own film, this film was originally called The Bat to convey a sense of horror. After all, it is about vampires, but it is also more than that. It is about passion and a love triangle. I feel that it is unique because it is not just a thriller and not merely a horror film, but an illicit love story as well. And I related to what we were talking about earlier. I feel like this is like a perfect way to view this film. Um, Horror is honestly kind of the last thing that like comes to mind. Um, the fact that they're together at all is is kind of like a taboo. You know, she's married, he's a priest, um, and you know, they're they're. I will say their sex scenes are very steamy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a very like kind of like erotic and very like, sensual. Sexual. Film. It's <laughs> extremely sexual. Um, he's very good looking. So you know, she's I was very good myself. looking as was, well, and she's very good looking yeah. too. You know, I was really enjoying myself. Um, you know, but. I think it really gets into like those other kinds of themes of vampirism. How, first of all, this is one of the most dramatic transformations I think, you know, someone could undergo. He goes from being like a very devout Catholic who has dedicated his life and sacrificed his body, you know, by, you know, being um, in this experiment just to help others to being to like totally denouncing all of his vows and like living a life, uh, you know, to quote our mother of sin, um, like with this, with this woman. But on the other hand, the other vampire in the movie Teju, she, so he kind of like has a lot of conflicting feelings about, about being a vampire. On the other hand, Teju sees being a vampire as a way to finally like be free. You know, she's free of her husband. She's free of her, of her, you know, domineering mother-in-law. She's free to express herself, um, like, sexually free to express herself. She lets her hair down, you know. Um, And I think this is a really good kind of, like, microcosm of, like, uh, so many different themes when it comes to vampire movies. And a lot of the themes that I think draw us to vampire movies, which is kind of, like, taboo subjects and, like, oh, like, you know, if I was a vampire, I'm going to do whatever yeah. the fuck I wanted, you yeah. know? And and I think there's something almost, like, kind of joyous about watching her kind of just gleefully, like, kill people, you know? Like, the way she does it and her acting is, is so good. Um, she's, to me, and she was a she was much younger than, um, than, gosh, what's his name? 
yeah, so um, Kim Oakben is the plays Te- Teju, um, and she's much younger than Song Kang Ho. Um, and, you know, when she was hired to do this film, she's like, wow, like, you know, Song Kang Ho is like the most, one of the most famous Korean actors. Mm-hmm. And when she was hired to do this film, she was like quoted as saying, like, wow, it's like such a great experience for me. I'm going to learn so much. But to be honest with you, I think she's. She kills this role. Like she's kind of the most riveting part. One yeah. of the most riveting. Oh, parts she of the is, film for, me, for me, definitely. And you know, I um, this film is really interesting to me because uh, it's I just love when you know the different cultures that we're not typically familiar with with a specific kind of film. Like when the Japanese make a zombie film, it's like, or the South Koreans make a vampire film. You're dealing with like kind of a this traditional idea that we've had, you know, we've had zombie films in the West. It's, you know, we talked about it in our zombie episode, at least. So since 1969, we've had a certain kind of zombie film since Bela Lugosi. We've had a certain kind of vampire film. So I thought there, this take on this Korean vampire film was just so interesting. And to me, it was really interesting to kind of see their kind of loss of humanity throughout the film. I thought there was this film kind of happened in stages for me. The first stage is like you said, the characters are who they are. You know, this guy's a priest. She is kind of a housewife, like a very meek abused housewife. When they become, when they meet each other, he's a vampire. Initially, she's not a vampire. She realizes something about herself, like, wow, I can really let go with this man. When he becomes a vampire, he's like, wow, I can kind of release the shackles of what I've put myself in as a priest. But eventually, when they are both vampires, they gradually lose their humanity more and more. And I thought it was just an interesting story and an interesting film in that way, because, like, it's just interesting to watch these two characters who are given kind of absolute freedom to do, excuse me, to do uh, whatever they want. That Modelo is really coming. For yeah. You. I, you know, I really should stop drinking beer on this podcast because I just inevitably <laughs> just burp the whole time. But um, no, I thought that like, you know, these characters are by, by vampirism are totally kind of unfettered from any morals or, you know, sense of human decency and it really makes you wonder, like, if I became a vampire, what would I do? Like, there's a yeah. point in this film where they kind of meet in the middle between their former personalities and what they become. And it seems like they're in the one of my favorite scenes of this film is like when she's not a vampire yet, but he is. And he's like carrying her and jumping from building to building. And they're just having yes. a great like, it's just so cute. And she's yeah, like, it's really cute. it's just a really touching scene in the film. And I was like, this is perfect i want the movie to end now like they're so happy (laughs) but eventually like this power that they have kind of really corrupts both of them um Mm -hmm. more so uh teju a little bit more to be honest because i think well you know the the fetters mm -hmm. that she had on her weren't of her choosing so when he loses his fetters he kind of he experiences stuff that he wasn't before but he still like is feeling a little guilty she is just like I don't have to deal with this shit anymore. Like I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want and, you know, kind of getting back at the world a little bit, but it is, I don't know. I just thought that this take on the vampire film, like what, what would a real person do if they became a vampire? I just thought that was yes. so interesting. And I was like interested well, in every aspect of this film. Yeah. And, and you kind of touched on the next thing I, I wanted to talk about a little, which is like the fact that, 
they both are kind of railing against the expectations that are put on them Mm -hmm. and becoming a vampire is kind of like the symbol symbolic way of them to both um, let go of like those shackles so as you said his is is kind of like self-imposed like because he chose to be a um, a priest even though there's a little bit of backstory about how he was like raised in a catholic orphanage and stuff so there's some question about you know how much of a choice he felt he had but at the end of the day he's able to walk away from being a priest i mean we grew up with a priest who like walked away from being a priest like you can do it with the choir boy that's right he ran he ran the choir man it was a man man. yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) a fully adult man of course yes it was a you know it's an adult man um but yes he he you know he left um because you know the church no longer no longer um was able to accommodate, you know, who he really was, and similar in By the similarly way, uh, in, not, this, in this movie. We don't want to joke about yeah. it. We're very happy that he did that. I think both of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. But like similarly in this movie, he just stops being a priest when it no longer can suit um, the the his lifestyle. But Teju, you know, she's just a woman in um, a society that expects women to be a certain way. And so I kind of read it as she has to go to more of an extreme to rid herself of Mm -hmm. that life. Um, And so I think that it's kind of only natural that she went so far into like the other direction of gleefully killing people and, and wantonly killing people like when she didn't really have to and um, that kind of stuff. And she, also, like, doesn't seem to have any guilt about killing her um, husband, whereas um, uh, Sang Ho, like, really, it, like, haunts him. And so, um, yeah, I just, I really think that there's a lot of themes, like, a lot of really classic themes being discussed in this film, just in a totally, like, new and fresh way. Um, and then also, it's, you know, it's directed by Park chan yeah. It's just, like, a great, great, great film. Um, Roger Ebert gave this film... Um, three out of four stars, but he also mentioned, uh, you know, and this was 2009, but I still think it's true today. He mentioned Park Chan-wook is just one of the best horror directors there are. Mm-hmm. So um, just watching this film is a great experience. And again, I, for some reason, if I try to sit through an American movie that's longer than an hour and a half, I'm like, God, why? But I could over? sit... <laughs> But I can watch a three-hour-long Korean drama and just be like, "Ah, let's let's roll it up yeah. again." Like I'll, you know. Um, but kind of the last thing I, you know, and I want to give you room to give your final thoughts on this film too. But um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is, and this is what I love to talk about. Similarly, how you like to put me on the spot about what is my favorite <laughs> blank? Um, what do you think um, the title of this film, Thirst, like is referring to? Obviously, it has a very um, obvious meaning, but yeah. what else do you think it could be referring to? So I'm glad the movie is called Thirst rather than The Bat. By the way, by the way, uh, there are there yeah. any bats in this film at all? Uh, I thought there might be. I can't remember, um, but I'm not. But I think Thirst. I feel I feel like it's kind of just means like kind of the the hunger or the thirst uh, as it may be that these characters have for like a different life that they have, but. The, it kind of conveys the desperation that they have, which, you know, because of their desperation kind of leads to them going a little bit overboard by the film's end. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about how Teju, like, kind of t- goes over the edge a little bit, but um, our male character, uh, I've already forgotten his name, even though you've said it multiple times, but... Um, it is, uh, sorry, oh shit, it's Sang Ho, Sang Ho, that's right, yeah, because we were talking about Sang. Sang Hun. Sang Hun, sorry. Han. So Sang Hun, it should be mentioned that he does like 
slapper in the face uh, uh, at some point in this film. He is not like an angel either. I mean, vampirism has quite a negative effect on him as well. And up until the end of the film and what he decides to do at the end of the film. So I think um, thirst kind of implies like a desperation and these characters have this desperation to change their situations. And once their situations are changed, uh, they kind of take it overboard. So I think it is a really good uh, title for what happens in this film. And obviously, you know, they're vampires thirst, they need blood. So well, and I was thinking, um, I totally agree with everything you said, but I was also thinking uh, when you say that um, someone is interested in another person, you say that they're, they're thirsty. Thirst trap. They have. A, if you're interested yeah, they in have... getting solicits, you <laughs> post a thirst trap to Instagram as well. They were both thirst trapping throughout this entire film. Exactly. Each other, so. for sure. Um, well, and I just wanted to give what I believe might be the best piece of trivia that we've ever had on this oh, please. podcast. please. You get it from IMDb? Yeah, you know I did. Okay, good. So, this film is the first mainstream Korean film to feature full frontal male nudity. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And I read read that piece of trivia before I even started the movie, and my eyes were just riveted. (laughs) I was like, when's it going to (laughs) happen? It has full frontal female nudity as well. I was thirsty. Yeah. Let's, yeah. you know, for, yeah, no, I mean, for all of it's everybody very, who wants to watch this film will have something to enjoy. Yeah. Well, it's a very, um, as soon as I, re- as soon as I suggested it again to my brother, I almost immediately regretted it because I started watching it. I was like, whoa, this is very steamy. You know, honestly, so. Park Chan-wook, I mean, again, I need to recommend once again to you, The Handmaiden. He makes sexy films. I mean, The Handmaiden yeah, is does. the steamiest film I've ever seen in my life. So watching <laughs> Thirst, I was not surprised that, that he had created something like this. Yeah, Park this. Chan-wook is like thirsty himself. He's kind of nerdy he's, looking, I mean, to be honest honestly, with you. Honestly, I would not just say he's thirsty. He's kind of horny, too. Sorry to say that Whoa. in front of my sister. But That's uncomfortable. <laughs> he's horny. He is. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Anywho, those are two. I'm really pleased with both of our selections for this particular topic mm-hmm. because... You know, it's sometimes it, it can be weirdly hard to choose a movie for a topic because there's part of you that wants to do a film that, like, you know you like, but that might be a little bit of a basic choice. So, like, I suggested to you initially that I kind of wanted to do Interview with the Vampire because mm-hmm. it's been a while, yeah. it's been a while. Yeah, since it's I've been seen that movie. And I really wanted to watch it again. But I think, you know, we try really hard on this podcast to give good recommendations and so that includes choosing films that people maybe um haven't seen before or aren't familiar with um so i think we both i mean you probably i went out on a limb for this episode and i think it really paid off um and so i'm really pleased with both of our selections and they're both films that i would personally like total gems for sure total gems to quote the horrible guys absolutely um well um before we move into our traditional last segment, which is what have we been watching? We should, I thought, you know, I was thinking uh, we should really have a name for that segment so we can do a really funny sound clip, by the way. I like I like to just call it what have you been watching? But yeah, you're right. We should be like, we should be like the hits quarter or something. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, but before we move into the hits corner, uh, I, I thought maybe we could take just like three minutes to discuss um, some of the horror films that are coming out because um, quite a, lot. a lot of trailers have been rolling out that people are pretty excited for. And I just wanted to make sure we kind of touched on those really briefly. 
Um, first of all, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is coming out on Friday. Friday as we're recording this. It should have been out for a few days when this episode releases. So um, I watched that trailer and it just looks basically like the best um, Goosebumps movie ever made. You know, that's, like, and I say that in an extremely That's so way. weird. That is precisely what I thought when I saw it because I've watched... I yeah. watched both of the Ghostbumps movies. I know it's a little bit of a brag, but those movies are <laughs> fun. But they could have done so much more with that source material. Yeah. And this seems yeah. like that. So they decided to not make this an anthology movie, but rather, like the Goosebumps right. movies, a continuous like narrative. And this seems like the best world of that. That is so weird that you said that. Well, and as people who grew up um, reading... Of course, the most evil men and women in history, but also shout out. Uh, also, the three scary stories to tell in the dark, which unfortunately Luna ripped up my copy for some reason. Um, she said the other she month. thought it was evil. She was trying to purge it. From yeah, the house. it was really weird. Well, she ripped like the cover off and like maybe the story about the toe or something. <laughs> but you know, we read those. Oh my god, we read them so 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 many out times. loud and to like, each other too. Yeah, like seeing like some of the stories visualized, I was like. On one hand, on the one hand, they look so much like the drawings, but on the other hand, like they look like fresh and modern. It's really yes. weird. Like it, it, it's kind of it really. I, I don't want to go too overboard in case we listen to this in a few months and be like, I can't what believe were we, we thought that, was that movie was a dud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like I do, I, you know, I think on the horrible podcast they described it as like this is the kind of movie that would scare the shit out of you as a kid, mm-hmm. and I think that's a compliment, and I think that's that's the that's the. That's the attitude I kind of want to go into. I love um, modern horror kind of like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, especially every horror movie was the same, had the same tone and feel like we are getting such a wide variety of not just like subject matters, but like feel in terms of mm-hmm. movies like this movie looks like it'll be something that you can take like a 10 or 11 year old kid to and not worry about them being traumatized for the rest of their lives. But still, it would be scary. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Depending on how you feel about the toe. But, I was, like, very traumatized when I first read these books. And I think I was probably, like, eight. Well, the pictures and, are... The pictures are yeah. something else. I mean... Yeah, there was the one with, like, the girl was driving home. And it turns out there was someone hiding in her backseat yeah. the whole time or whatever. The one about um, the girl with the... I've never been the same. The one with about the girl <laughs> with the scarf around her neck uh, is the one that always sticks in Yeah. Me. But anyway, this film... And another one great. when she had the spider in her face. Okay, sorry. Yeah. That oh, was and then the other one... No, I'm just just kidding but i think i'm gonna check that out on thursday actually i'm gonna i'm going away this is a little bit of a brag going away to a beach house this weekend to chill a little bit with my girlfriend for her birthday but uh so i'm gonna try and catch this on thursday before we go so i'm really looking forward to that and maybe we'll do an episode uh on this that'll have been out by the time this comes comes out yeah i mean i'm hoping to catch it like within the first two weeks of it being out but Mm. um i'm just really busy mm, so um this might have to go on the back burner for me but anyway um this so the next real quickly because ah, we're running long on time but i did <laughs> want to talk about i guess we'll just lump them together the lighthouse which is the new film um by um da- wait Dave Dag- Eggers, Dave yeah Eggers, yeah um the director of the witch my favorite movie favorite horror movie but also favorite movie um starring our pet to you know come full circle <laughs> and then the other one is the nightingale who which is directed by jennifer uh the babadook um, Jennifer. No. Jennifer something or other. Jen- right? Uh, I'm going to look it up while I'll let you dis- start discussing those two. Sure, as I look sure. It up. So, uh, yeah, The Lighthouse, uh, you know, the trailer, I, which I'm g- glad for. We've talked about trailers revealing too much a lot. Jennifer Clark is her name, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Jennifer Kent. Jennifer you're Kent. really close. Uh, Clark yeah. Kent is uh, Superman. Anyway, uh, the lighthouse looks. <laughs> this has been our segment, Curtis. Knows <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, uh, I, the lighthouse uh, in the fashion lately of horror f- uh, trailers, thankfully and very gratefully, not revealing too much about the plot or what the movie is about. Except for that it's going to be sexy as hell, but continue. I don't know about that. Uh, but anyway, it's a black and white film set in, you guessed it, a lighthouse. Uh, it's really hard from the trailer to tell what is going on. It looks like you have two characters kind of isolated and maybe going a little crazy. But either way, uh, it's been, it has got great reviews, I know, on the festival circuit. Not that I know anything about the festival circuit, but I know it got, it got great <laughs> reviews uh, from Sundance and stuff like that. And I'm really looking forward to that just because of the director's past work and that the trailer looked really stylish. I like black and white stuff just yeah. fine. I'm not. Some yeah. people are big babies I, about that. but And, uh, you know, it has two actors in it and both of the actors are really our good. Pat um, and William Defoe. Our Pat and William Defoe. I do not know anything about the film. And I read a headline but did not read the article. But the headline on Slate said um, the lighthouse is about the horrors of male bonding. So I actually hope it gets into... Like I, I hope, love I hope it gets bonding, into. By the way, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Well, I hope it kind of gets into like what do two men like do when they're like kind of left to their own devices, mm-hmm. and like I feel like that will be really interesting. And after I saw that headline before I watched the trailer, and when I watched the trailer, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, like because they feel a little awkward, but then there's like all these scenes of them being like a little bit more intimate, like laughing and drinking together and stuff. So I'm kind of like. What's going on here? And then I, I hoped maybe there was a romantic element. I don't know. I, it, it, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, like. A girl can dream. <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, that looks great. And I'm, I think that'll be out uh, in September or late August. I can't remember. But a film that is already mm, yeah, out remember. is The Nightingale by Jennifer Clark. So this one comes with uh, a trigger warning uh, for even this discussion. But especially if you're planning on watching the film. Uh, so this is a rape revenge film, from what I understand. Basically, you know, I think the trailer kind of bears that out a little bit. But maybe... Not enough. I, of course, you don't want to give away too much during a trailer, but a film with this type of subject matter, you, you know, you should know going in. But basically, it's a it's set in Tasmania or present day. Ta- you know, it's set in what is now known as Tasmania, but it's this is from the time of like the early 1800s, and a, there is a woman who is a convict who is um, ex- has like basically abused by British soldiers and escapes to the woods and meets with an Aboriginal guide basically who has also been you know had obviously horrible experiences with the british soldiers and then both of them want to get revenge on the soldier that did this to her and he that the aboriginal uh character like kind of just wants to get revenge in general but um this is another film you know you and i both didn't like the babadook that much this seems ex- very very different from the babadook um, more almost seems like kind of a western remind me a little bit of that film bone tomahawk that came out a few years ago, which was also yeah, it right. It weirdly reminded me a little bit in look of like Apostle, yeah. And then weirdly enough, also that that uh, movie starting scene being the Black, Black Death. Death, yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is going to be, I'm sure, a very divisive movie. But everything that I've read by like reputable outlets, like AV Club, I saw a review from the New York Times. Um, they all gave it great reviews, so I do not think this film will be exploitative or I don't think this film is exploitative. It's obviously a woman director and it's just supposed to be very brutal and like uncompromising in terms of like what this female character does to other 
people to the British soldiers and kind of like bleak in its view of humanity. I love films like that. I do not love uh, rape revenge films. I wasn't really into the film revenge uh, that came out last year all that much. However, I do like these kind of brutal, um, you know, films. Uh, So I will definitely check it out. But this, again, this comes with a heavy trigger warning and I'm interested to see this film just because it's a, such an interesting follow-up to a film like the Babadook too. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think it looks totally different. Um, unlike Dave Eggers, um, who's obsessed with period yes. pieces apparently. <laughs> um, but, uh, to be honest with you, um, I wasn't really drawn in by the trailer. It didn't look like something I would super be into. I'll probably check it out anyway, because we have a horror yeah, movie the podcast. Pedigree of the um, director. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like to support like female directors, so I do still want to see it. But like, I'm gonna go in with low expectations and um, hope that it kind of exceeds my expectations. Good, to be honest with you, um, I just wasn't wasn't super super interested in the story. To be totally honest with you, um, even though it looked stylistically like it would be kind of cool, and I do like I like period pieces, so um, that part of it also intrigued me. So we'll have to see. Um, and so, do you want to just uh, quickly touch on some some stuff you've been watching lately, and I'll get into sure. I'll, my stuff. I'll as well. keep it quick because um, I've been playing Fire Emblem, which just recently came out on the Switch. Um, been watching a lot of movies. I actually watched a lot of movies this weekend because it was my birthday and. That's what I like to do. Uh, shout out to non-horror movie Hobbs and Shaw, which is a movie that is a spinoff from the Fast and Furious franchise. Loved it. Uh, the Rock runs down a building and jumps onto an uh, other man that is also running down a building. So that just gives you an idea of what was featured in that film. That sounds lit as hell. Um, but I, um, I've watched, I, you know, I watched a good deal of horror over the weekend and uh, over the past week. One movie I want to point out, and I never thought I would be saying this, but I wanted to check out some of Alexandra Aja's other films other than Crawl, because I enjoyed Crawl quite a bit. So I checked out Piranha, uh, also known as Piranha 3D, because it was originally presented in 3D when it hit theaters back in 2010. And um, I really enjoyed this film, despite its title. You would think its title, Piranha, it would be really shitty. I remember watching a Piranha film on sci-fi where... It involved giant piranhas and a, la- a man literally bicycle kicked like multiple piranhas. And I was expecting some of that. <laughs> but this film was surprisingly brutal. I mean, it was there. The, the scenes you would think a movie called Piranha would be like, especially a movie called Piranha that is set in a town during spring break where Eli Roth is literally playing a character who is judging a wet T-shirt contest and spraying water <laughs> all over women's chests. You would think this movie would be really stupid. and A.K.A. a typical Saturday night in the yes, Rock's life. But yes. yeah. <laughs> um, you would think this movie would be, like, funny and irreverent and for laughs. The scene, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of scenes where there it is played for laughs. I mean, the main character of this film finds himself um, in a job where he is a cameraman to, like, a Girls Gone Wild type deal where he's, like, on a boat because he's a local and he's showing him all the spots. But the scenes where the piranha attack this movies are no fucking joke. I mean, th- there is a scene that is set like near the beach where there's a bunch of spring breakers. The wet t-shirt contest is going on. When the piranhas attack, it is gruesome and it is horrifying. All of a sudden, the music changes to really serious. You see people being pulled out of the la- the lake with like no with their whole bottom half of their bodies gone or like you know their arm just to the bone and flailing around like people's skulls. Like, I mean. It was really, really brutal. And I, 
you know, I, I, the tonal shifts like that can work for me. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes it seems really inappropriate. This film, I felt like it was a really great bait and switch. You're like baited into thinking, oh, this movie's going to be all titties and, you know, fun spring break teens and things like that. And all of a sudden it changes on a dime. It lulls you into like a false sense of security. And to think I would be praising a movie called Piranha 3D on this podcast, I would have never guessed, but it was really, really good and really worth watching. Really, really gruesome. I mean, one of the more gruesome films I've watched in recent memory but uh, totally worth it. And some really great CG effects. I'm usually you know, more of a fan of practical effects, as is everybody else. But the CG effects in this film are really solid. Except for there is a scene where the piranhas eat a penis. Uh, that looked really bad. But other than that, it was really, really good. Sounds and I, If you're interested mm-hmm. in his filmography, um, you really liked If you like, It wasn't as claustrophobic or as scary as Crawl. But um, if you're into kind of like Alexandra Aja and these monster films, check out Piranha. I really liked it. Yeah, I have to check that out. Um, that's a, a quite a glowing review <laughs> of a film called Prana 3D. <laughs> well, I so own it. I I'll like let you borrow it, it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm continuing two long-standing coverages on uh, real films. First is the Hulu Into the Dark series. Oh, yeah. um, I watched July's when it came out, so it's been quite some time. But we did our birthday episode. We didn't have a ton of time to talk about recent watches so i saved it for this episode so july's entry was called culture shock um it's about a mexican woman who's trying to cross the border and then all of a sudden she finds herself in like this surreal like american um you know desperate housewives-esque uh suburban um neighborhood and so it's basically about her starting to realize that something is not quite right with the neighborhood, um, which is very cool. And stylistically, the most interesting Into the Dark entry yet, mm. I think, because the beginning is all about her like crossing the border. I should mention she's crossing the border illegally, um, or she's not like going through official channels. Um, and so that part is like really gritty and like dark and they're like running through the dark at night and they're like, oh, we're going to get shot and like all this kind of stuff. Oh, and she's pregnant. So there's like this other element of of um you know fear there and then the second half of the movie is like really really bright and everyone's wearing pastels and stuff like that so that was really cool um i do have to say that there was a few themes in the film that i found a little disturbing that other people online didn't really like seem to like it didn't seem to bother them as much and i should also point out that the film um was directed by I don't want to say she's uh, Mexican, um, but directed by a woman of like Hispanic descent. And so um, I don't know off the top of my head uh, what that is. But um, so I guess, you know, there's like some sensitivity there. But for me personally, I thought some of the themes were just a little like, I don't know, just a little overwrought. But overall, like stylistically, I thought it was really good. And I thought the storyline overall was pretty solid, too. So. I didn't like it as much as They Come Knocking, which was the Father's Day entry, and Culture Shock was the July 4th entry. And so, um, but I still thought it was pretty good. And honestly, like, the films have been kind of picking up. So it it kind of makes me excited to watch um, August's, which I heard is based on, like, I think think it's, like, back-to-school themed. So (laughs) that should be. Yeah, because I remember being like, what are they going to do for August? That's why I love love having a birthday in August, because the holiday is my birthday. Yeah. Um anyway, um so my Anywho. other long standing and my other long standing coverage as long time listeners know because I've been doing it for one week is um <laughs> <Very long-standing. laughs> the nightmare 
Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so I got behind a week, and I'm very proud of myself because I did catch up. So I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, so I had already watched two, which I discussed in the last episode. So I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and then Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Both were, like, way better. First of all, way better than two. And then, like, second of all, like, way better than I was expecting. Because I watched Dream Warriors, and I was like, this is dope as hell. I love everyone with, like, their own, like, powers, like fighting freddy in their dreams i love that they brought back the character of nancy and i think they did so in a really like organic and like natural way like it made sense why she was in the film um and then it kind of started to introduce some lore surrounding freddy which i love a good backstory so when i went into the dream master i was like all right this is gonna be good uh i'm sure it'll be good but it can't be as good as dream warriors but i was telling you i don't know which one i like more i really thought they were both both like equally good because dream master did something really unique in that it took like a side character and throughout the course of the film like she becomes the main mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. so like at first you're like who's this bitch <laughs> but then like she kind of, again i feel like these films are really like organic in the way that they like develop the stories mm-hmm. like nothing seems forced so far again you know yeah. i'm sure this will be something i'll listen well, to in come a few back weeks when I'll you watch like, mm. like six and seven yeah yeah, but, like, I will say, like, really solid entries and it kind of returned to something that I think, too, got away from, which is, like, the fact that Freddy Krueger, like, kills people in, like, really gruesome ways. So, kills are good. Kills, kills are good. Kills are good. And. Can I just interject? Uh, I had a few questions as to what the hell the clip was from when we say kills are good. That is from Dumb and Dumber, folks. Uh, there is a scene yeah. in Dumb and Dumber where who didn't know where that? our main antagonist <laughs> has um, heart issues and our main characters put... He has acid he has reflux, acid I think. reflux like, or something like, like I that. do. I have acid reflux, so I don't think it's funny. Our but, main characters, um, Harry and Lloyd, put hot peppers <laughs> into his burger and as soon as he bites into it, he realizes it's hot peppers. He falls back in his seat. <laughs> Harry and Lloyd stand up and point and laugh at him, but then realize he's having heart <laughs> issues. And they try to feed him his pills, but it turns out he had also had rat poison in his... Uh, it's a long story, but at one point... It's actually kind of complicated. <laughs> at one point, uh, our character Lloyd, who is feeding him the pills, says, Pills are good. Pills are good as he's feeding him rat poison. (laughs) And I said to Curtis, because we always talk about how much we love kills, I said, why don't we have a segment called Kills Are Good? (laughs) So we created a really shitty sound clip where we're saying kills are good. I think it was a really good sound clip, but that's fine. Um, But anyway, yeah, I do think the three and four really great kills, really great tight, you know, stories that make sense, you know. I also love, you know what it is about the fourth one is that there's teen drama and you know how much I love teen drama. So that's kind of why I was like feeling it. But anyway, I just wanted to close. Well, I have some listener mail um, before we close close, but I did want to say my partner, Justin uh, wanted us to do a listener poll. Um, He watched a lot of the dream master with me. And at one point, uh, Freddy Krueger says, hello, little (laughs) girl. And he, and Justin says, wow, I could literally never say that. That sounds creepy, no matter who is saying it. And I said, I think I could say hello, little girl, without it being creepy. So a question to the listeners, write in, let us know. Could you ever say hello, little Please girl, without sounding creepy? Please uh, specify what uh, 
what your gender you identify is. As. I think it's yes, very in- because yeah, I think it's very important that we know if your you gender. identify as a woman. I think that's very different than if you identify. As a <laughs> um. So yeah, listener poll. Uh. And yeah, I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna try to watch one Nightmare on Elm Street. Um. <clears throat> excuse me. One Nightmare on Elm Street film. Uh. Per so you have like, five episodes, next, so like two right? weeks. Yeah. So five is next, nice. and I have, which means I have. I'm, I'm like halfway through. Oh, so. I think you're, it might yeah. even be more than half. I think there's seven mainline ones and then the remake. So if you're going to watch the remake, you're halfway through. Wait, but this, the seven doesn't include Freddy versus Jason. Oh, it I have doesn't. Freddy okay, Jason yeah, you're well. right. Yeah. Right. So there is. And I'm going to watch Freddy versus yeah. Jason. Um. So anyway, yeah, we do have some listener mail from long time and very devoted listener, Catherine. Mm. Catherine listens to every episode as they Thank come you, out. Thank you, Catherine. Um, yes, which is very nice. Um, she sent us a really... Um, great email. Um, what, as part of the email, she um, suggested that we uh, watch a film that I've heard about time and time again. I think we really should cover it called How Sue. Oh, yeah. Um, that was on my yeah. uh, foreign I, film. It was on my foreign film list, but then I replaced it with Tetsuo. But it was originally on my okay. foreign film list. Yes, I love that film. Then I just have to watch How yeah. Um and uh, she has a great Midsummer Hereditary theory. Um, I'm going to boil it down for you, Chris. You can go read it. But it basically, uh, Hereditary is when you are experiencing grief without a supportive community. Midsummer is about when you're uh, experiencing grief with a supportive community. Mm-hmm. That's what that kind of the basis of what um, her theory and how those two films are tied together. Um, but her first uh, point. And I should re um, I should say that this point was actually recently reiterated by listener Lindsay G um, when we were together for drinks. Uh, she listened to our oh, episode on you had crawl a and fan said, get together. Nice. I had a quick fan get together. Nice. Yes, with with Lindsay G, and she um, mentioned she listened to our episode on crawl and said, you know, that sounds more like a thriller to me. And I said, well, what's the difference between a thriller and a horror? And she was like, hmm. And weirdly enough, two days earlier, Catherine had emailed us thriller or horror. What the fuck is the fucking difference, though? I think it would be cool to look at movies, films whose genre is hotly debated. Perfect example, Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is definitely yes. psychologically terrifying, but it is also horrific. I think it's horror, but not everyone thinks so. What do you think? What makes horror? And so I thought, you know, because we've heard this now from two people, which is a- about 10% of our listener base. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. That's 15%. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I thought it, I really thought it would be like an interesting um, maybe topic for us to cover in the future. We could, uh, you know, cover films that are more genre built, bending. Perfect than maybe Blue would films. be a perfect example. And I'd love if you could yeah. catch that film, too. That was ugh, such a good watch. I I um, personally think the first film that comes to mind for me for like whether or not it's horror or not is Requiem for a Dream. Uh, I really yeah. like that film. That's a good one. But I've never really considered it horror. But now that I like, I mean, parts of it the are one- like. It's like horror the way that like seven is horror. Like it's crime, yeah. but it's like I the don't one know. that always comes to mind so. for me because I always debate like is this my favorite horror? One of my favorite horror films of all time because I know it's one of my favorite films of all time is Mulholland Drive. To me, that's mm-hmm. not really a horror film, but there are horror elements to it for sure. Yeah. But is it horror just because it's David Lynch and David Lynch make? I mean. Is Blue Velvet a horror? I don't know. That's a really hard. Is Shape of Water horror? Yeah. Like I think that was a topic. That or even Pan's really Labyrinth or something. In. Is that a horror film? Yeah. I don't know. It's a really interesting conversation. Ultimately, it only matters if you're like making like a top ten horror list. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter that much. But for some reason, it's yeah. like 
you know well and it, i told it, i told it's just a silly thing i told Catherine during our my second listener meetup um this weekend <laughs> of the week <laughs> when i saw her that like to me i think the only reason that we have this debate within the horror genre and not within other genres is that for so long horror um was considered kind of low yes. brow so when all of these highbrow horror films came out people were like well these can't be exactly. horror they must be thrillers that's what saying I that think, get so. out's a thriller for example i mean it's yeah, just so it's crazy um but yeah, yeah no it is an interesting thing to think about um but and like the reason i think about it again so much is because like all so many of my favorite films are horror films or could be considered horror films and i always think like oh is that a horror film like should i be including that so anyway it yeah. is an interesting topic of discussion though and I, we should, so, yeah. really should do an episode where we kind of uh, do like on the on the border films yeah i think it's a good idea and i think it's one that our listeners are interested in clearly um so so clearly I mean, they're, they're begging for it <laughs> um but anyway that wraps up our very long episode on vampires mm. and films coming out films we've been watching um coverage uh, kills are good it's I been mean, a while topics, right? uh, it's been a while we been didn't a do while. me versus nev this episode that's been a, a while coming but i hopefully we can cover more of those films with neve campbell nev campbell in the future D- I, can't, I can't remember did we do- it, it's neve it's neve no, right justin we said, thought it was nev justin no we thought it but, was neve and justin said it was nev and we'll rekindle no, no, we'll, no, re- we, we'll rekindle this conversation i'm sure in the future i have a feeling we will god is it neve or nev um god okay <laughs> I'm like really stressed now. Um, but anyway, yes. Well, thank you everyone for listening. You can find us on social media, Instagram, AHH Real Films, uh, Twitter, AHHREEL Films. You can email us like uh, Sweet Catherine did, AHH Real Films at gmail.com. Um, you can also please rate, review, and subscribe on itunes it helps us um get more listeners if you leave us a review and we would really appreciate it it only takes a second tell us how much you love us tell us if it's neve or nev please yeah, just please let us know don't we need spell to it out just give us a voice recording <laughs> um, um but yeah that's all we got and thanks so much for listening have a good week Bye, folks, folks. That's true. I listened to that one song, Whistle. Oh, by Blackpink? Mm-hmm. I, I love that song's a real banger. But for some reason, I've never listened to anything else by Blackpink. Wow, so. they're good. I, any Look, any song that's called Whistle or Whistle Song, I will listen to. Ying Yang Twins. Yeah, that's true. Blackpink. Oh. DJ Alligator. I'll listen to what any What happened to song. the Ying Yang Twins? Well, they played in Tallahassee just last year. <laughs> they didn't start Damn. until like 2.30 in the morning. That's like when I started listening to Sean Paul again. I was like, man... <laughs> Shut up, Paul. <laughs> I love Shampoo. Oh, okay. oh, anyway. All right.